Hey, welcome back to the program. It is great to be with you today. I, uh, I'm feeling the spirit of Easter. Easter, like if you think about creation as like uh, receiving the capacity to receive. Yeah, Easter is about, I'm sorry, uh, creation is about like becoming a, like a chalice, that vessel quality, right? That you have that you're empty and yet you're made to be filled. Redemption is being able to actually receive from God what he wants to fill you with, where you're set free from bondage so that you can now actually receive from God. Easter's about being filled to overflowing, right? You heard me talk a bit about that already, that we're not that good about being people that live, Catholics that live the Easter spirit. We, we get the idea of denying self and dying to self. It's not quite as easy to get to that sense of being filled to overflowing. So I, today I'm going to dive into that through scriptures, scriptures as in places of encounter with Jesus, places of encounter with Jesus that are going to hopefully fill us to overflowing. So that's the goal today. Now, some of you may remember where I said, oh, stick around Tuesday. Father John Ricardo is going to be on as my guest. Unfortunately, on Monday, he had to, he had to cancel our pre-recorded interview that was going to happen on Monday, and we were going to air it today. So we have rescheduled. I'm going to be interviewing him, hope to God, on Saturday morning this week. So say a prayer for that. I love the idea, and I love having Father John Ricardo on. I've got some, a number of questions, uh, things that I want to throw in front of him and get his insight on them. So uh, say a prayer for that. He's a busy, busy priest and he's willing to give us some time because he's coming to the uh, west side, to the local area in the Puget Sound. And so you folks that are, that are over there would be very blessed to be able to uh, enjoy him and his ministry as a priest. So let's pray right now, and then let's dive into the spirit of the Easter season. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' holy name, and I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for all of the ways that you take care of us, all of the ways that you bless us, all of the ways, Lord, that you give us a sense of meeting you in a way that fills our lives to overflowing. And so, Lord, I pray that your scripture would be a word, a word that sets us free, a word of life. Lord, um, we do love you, um, but Lord, we need to encounter you in a whole new way. And so we beg you for that encounter. Uh, We beg you, Lord Jesus, that you are risen from the dead and that we would have that sense of meeting you in a way that is overwhelming to us. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I mentioned I'm going to begin with John chapter 20, that gospel where Jesus comes through the, uh, the locked doors into the upper room. I mentioned I'm going to talk about the road to Emmaus encounter that was also on Easter Sunday. And then if there's still time, I'm going to talk about uh, Acts chapter 3. But uh, if you were at Mass yesterday, uh, to, on Sunday, uh, hopefully you were, you got to hear that incredible scripture that is the encounter with Christ, the risen Christ that John has um, and uh, in heaven, the heavenly encounter with Jesus Christ that is so overwhelming, the overwhelming encounter with Jesus. And so um, that's worth exploring as well. I I know I'm not going to be able to to dive into all of that. Well, a couple other practical things just as a, you know, by the way, I'm uh, learning again to appreciate the gift of my wife, Carrie. Uh, She is actually today as we speak about to get on an airplane uh, as I speak. So say a prayer for her. She's flying back from uh, Franciscan University. She was at a, a women's conference in Virginia um, over the weekend. You heard her talk about that on last Friday's program. So she was there for the weekend and then drove out to Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, to see our daughter, who Mary Catherine, who is a sophomore there, and uh, has been having a, a very blessed time. She was a student there, so it was nice for her to be able to get back. And when I was talking to her on the phone, she drove by the house where she lived for one year and all of that. So uh, you'll get to hear some stories from her on Friday. But for me, it, it's meant 
while being not only Mr. Dad, but Mr. Mom, and uh, attending to five kids who happen to be on spring break. Yes, that's right. Five, I've got five of the nine kiddos at home still, and they are on spring break. And I got to tell you, one of the gifts, one of the gifts to pray for and to work towards in your kids' lives, to be, if you want to really be a blessing to them, is to really be intentional and thoughtful and planful and take action to help your kids enjoy each other. Help your kids enjoy each other, to be able to play games together. I don't just mean sports outside, but I do mean sports outside because it's great to be outside physically interacting and whether it's throwing a Frisbee around, kicking a soccer ball around, shooting a basketball. Uh, you know, there's so many games that all of the kids can play. And then um, inside games as well. And so whether it's more thinking games, like I'm thinking of a cousin who or person, place, or thing, right? Or whether it's board games or whether it's watching a movie. And so don't tell Carrie this, but we were trying to figure out what are we going to have for dinner? And so I was like, kids, it's expensive to eat out. So we're not going to go just eat some junk food. I said, we can go, you know, at like a fast food place. I said, that's really expensive. And I said, we can just make some pasta here. Let's boil some water. <laughs> and uh, we had some frozen fried rice so we, and some leftover pork chop. So we made that for dinner. And the trade-off, my, my kids are pretty good negotiators. The trade-off was they got to go to the store and get some loot. Loot is what they call it. Loot means that they each got to get, well, frankly, a bag of junk food. <laughs> but in order to enjoy a movie together. So my kids and I are enjoying some movies together while Carrie is away. And so it's become a bit of an event. And so the kids are right now cleaning the house so that uh, they can then watch the movie once the house is all clean, the kitchen and the rooms and all of that other stuff. So, um, so there. There's me trying to be Mr. Mom, trying to be a good father as well as trying to um, help the kids enjoy each other. Oh, by the way, you know what they don't need to enjoy each other? I know they're watching a movie tonight, but we have an app on our phone that um, freezes the use of media. And so the kids have not been able to like play games. They don't play video games anyways, but um, they, you know they're not on TV. They're not watching smart TV. They don't have laptop computers and desktop computers. So you know what they were doing? They're hanging out together and they were playing outside together. So ta-da, you can do this. This is, this is possible. All right. It's also a gift. Here's the thing. It's a gift that comes from faith as well. It's a gift that comes from an active faith as well. Why do I say that? I say that because in a fallen world, kids are easily going to be selfish. In a fallen world, kids are easily going to fall into the temptation to be self-centered, to think first of themselves, primarily of themselves, or for their own benefit first of all. It takes the grace of God, it takes an act of faith to raise up not only a vision, but to give them the strength to operate in a way that says, prefer others, serve others, pour yourself out for others, prefer others in terms of time, attention, energy, uh, desire. What do they want? And it's definitely a journey, and it's definitely something that, you know, kids are going to take two steps forward, hopefully, and then a step back, and three steps forward, and two steps back. But you want them making forward progress, but that means they need faith. They need an active faith. One of the things that we did uh, from Good Friday till... Um, last Sunday, Divine Mercy Sunday, was we did the Divine Mercy Novena. And so after the 1130 Mass on Sunday at St. Mary's, Father Lewis had a period of time of adoration and prayer leading up to the Divine Mercy Hour. And for me, such a blessing that my five kiddos stayed, prayed, went to confession, and completed the ninth day of their Divine Mercy Novena. And I say that not, I, why do I say that? I say this because 
If you want your kids to be able to have room in their hearts and a sense of affection and love for each other, meaning self-sacrificing energy, a willingness to die to self, in order to have them be able to do that, they're going to need to get removal of any sins that are in their lives that are going to hold them back. They need that sense of being unbound and set free. And that's what comes from confession. That's what comes from receiving the gift of the Eucharist in a state of grace, is that they will have spiritual power to be able to live in a way where they are less likely to tip into sinful attitudes, sinful behaviors, sinful ways of thinking about things, right? Now, that's a constant battle. It's a constant uh, call to conversion. But look to the graces that come from the sacraments, the graces that come from these official, beautiful devotions that are supported in the life of the church and in the, in the, the life of the feasts of the church, precisely in order to help your kids to experience that surge of peace and joy, that surge of a vision of life that is good, that is that that can allow them to flourish. Don't don't just take that for granted. Don't just think that all paths are equal. Don't just think that all kids are well. They're basically good, and they stumble sometimes, and they're going to be goofy, and they'll hit these stages where they're weird and and they're rebellious and all of that. And you just think that somehow we'll get them to say a prayer. No, you want these kids to be immersed in God, immersed in that sense of an expectant faith for an encounter with Jesus. Do they know Jesus? Are they encountering Jesus? Is the Lord Jesus impacting their lives? It is so critical. Get it now while the kids are still in the home. It was one of the things that Carrie noted um, when she was at Franciscan that Mary Catherine, one of the things that is a natural draw is personalities and temperaments and, and, and preferences for things that kids like to do. But that will only get you in the door of a friendship. But then once you start to get to know someone better, it doesn't take that long before you're going to bump up against the level of faith life, the level of faith practice that is part of that friend's life. And then all of a sudden, there's that weird moment where one of the friends is more expressive of a relationship with the Lord as fundamental to who they are and how they want to live. And the other one is like, that's not really how we've practiced our faith in our home. That That's like, look, I'm happy I'm here and all of that. I'm not going to do crazy things, but you know what? That's not me. And so Mary Catherine's experiencing some of that. And thanks be to God, by the mercy of God, and um, we thank God as she's discovered uh, a household that is, uh, it's dedicated to the Blessed Mother, Totus Tuus Mariae. So uh, totally yours, uh, Mary. And so she's right now going through a total consecration to the Blessed Mother, um, with these uh, other young women in her household at Franciscan University. Now, that just makes my heart just just so full. Talk about full to overflowing. It's, it's the answer to a prayer. It's the, the desire of my heart that my daughter would want to nurture friendships with other young women who can help her grow in faith, who can aid her and, and confirm her in that desire to live her faith. And in this particular instance, have the sense of saying, you can be aided in the growth of your faith through the devotion to the Blessed Mother, the Blessed Mother, the mother of the church, the mother of disciples, the one who is a model for a discipleship with Christ and a perfect model of what it means to give birth to the word for the world. Yes. I mean, I have, I mean, that's why we named her Mary Catherine. We named her after the Blessed Mother and after St. Catherine. And, and we want those saints to be pouring into her life through a beautiful path of intercession. And so, Nothing's perfect, right? I, I mean, in, in the human path of living out our faith, nothing's perfect. But when you see signs, when I see signs of tangible growth, when I see signs of moving forward in that sense of the encounter with Jesus, the encounter with Jesus, especially in my kids' lives, I know that that'll help them be better brothers and sisters to each other, better young men and women as they grow in their high school years, and that will equip them to then go off to college and sending them to the right college where they'll find other kids who will also nurture and 
support and celebrate that sense of let's grow in our relationship with God together. And that, you know, that makes me feel like, okay, that's what I was supposed to be doing as a father, to lead, provide, and protect my kids. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. So that makes my heart full. That's a beautiful Easter gift. When we go back, I want to talk about scripture in relationship to these encounters. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So I just shared with you in that first segment about the way in which an encounter with Christ can make, can, can and does make all of the difference, even in the lives of siblings growing up together, brothers and sisters growing up together. It makes all the difference because of the space that it makes in their hearts and minds for each other, right? It's it's one of the greatest gifts. <laughs> it's kind of thinking, what's a greater gift than a disposing our kids and readying our kids and forming our kids to say yes to Jesus and to let Jesus come in to their lives so that they have a sense of love and kindness and affection for each other. Okay, let's talk about scriptures now because I've got these three scriptures picked uh, picked out, not only because they're so focused on the day of the resurrection, but the, the fruit of the resurrection as well. And it also will point to some of the things that hold back you and me from a deeper encounter with Jesus. The first one is suffering. And so let's talk about that. The scripture is from... Jesus' appearance to the disciples on the um, on the first day of the week on uh, on Easter Sunday. This is uh, from John chapter twenty. On the evening of the first day of the week, even though the disciples had locked the doors of the place where they were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood before them. Peace be with you, he said. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. At the sight of the Lord, the disciples rejoiced. Peace be with you, he said again. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive men's sins, they are forgiven them. If you hold them bound, they are held bound. So this is Easter Sunday night, right? The very powerful, um, the very powerful story of what happens after the, the crucifixion is that here we are, just a day and a half later, we have the apostles back in the upper room, and the doors locked. Why? For fear of the Jews. They were afraid. And um, what ends up happening? Jesus passes through the locked door. He doesn't knock on the door and say, let me in. He passes through the locked door and he says, peace. And they're overwhelmed at first, but then he shows them his hands and his side. And then he says, peace again. They now rejoice because they realize it's the risen Lord Jesus. It's Jesus Christ himself. And then he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. So I want to break this open as it relates to our lives. And so one of the ways in which you stop and say, what, what's a locked door? What's a locked door in our lives? Well, I want to say that locked doors in our lives are often places in our lives where we've suffered, and suffering can close us off, can close us up, can make us become protective, can make it difficult for us to trust that God is good. And so let's close off that part of our lives because it's just too hard. And so some of you can relate to this. I know that Carrie and I experienced a place in our lives where we had locked the door. And we locked the door because we were suffering. And it was around children, funny enough. Uh, but what wasn't funny was 
that stage in our lives where we had gone through a, a real suffering of infertility. During the first four years of our married life, we were experiencing infertility. And when we, uh, through the mercy of God and, and through the miraculous, uh, you know, th through supernatural intervention, you know, we never really had an answer why we didn't get pregnant, but uh, despite all the tests and, and, and uh, procedures, um, when we finally were able to conceive, we ended up having a miscarriage and then conceived again and gave birth to Mary Grace. And then there was a series of miscarriages that happened after that. And uh, so many miscarriages that we have more children in heaven than on earth. More children in heaven than on earth. So we have nine children. We have more children in heaven than on earth through miscarriage. And when we experienced one miscarriage after the other, it was a different kind of suffering than the suffering of not being able to conceive. The suffering involved with conceiving, celebrating, getting excited, sharing the good news, and then losing the pregnancy, losing the child, and then having to face the, the family and friends with that news to speak about it when there was so much enthusiasm and promise of prayers and, and this one, this time it's going to work out. I just have a sense from God only to lose another child, another child, to lose twins. This was tremendous suffering, painful, painful suffering. And I can remember after having gone through a number of these uh, miscarriages, there was another occasion when Carrie got pregnant. And when she shared the news with me, she shared it in a, so, uh, in a voice that did not have any enthusiasm. There was, there was very little affect. It was, it was sort of a flat, even a sort of normal tone of voice acknowledgement that she was pregnant again. And there was this sense of, let's not tell anybody because it's too hard. It's too hard to hope. It's too hard to hope, turn to God and say, God, this time, this time, Lord, why? Why would you do this? Why? And when we end up losing that child as well, there was a sense of Carrie, I can remember, I don't know if it was the exact words that she used, where it was like, Carrie, let's turn to the Lord again and let's hope in him. And she said, well, it's too hard. I, if this is how he's going to treat us, by permitting us to undergo this again and again, I would rather go through it alone. I would rather not open this circumstance and situation to him again, only to uh, have any kind of faith expectation that he's going to sustain this pregnancy, this child, and that we're going to give birth to another baby. It was too hard. It was just too painful. That was a that was a, a locked door. That was a locked door. Maybe there are situations in your life that as a result of suffering, maybe ongoing suffering, relational suffering, maybe suffering in association with your husband, in association with your wife, in association with your finances, in association with your health, where you were like, you know what? This is just really hard. Lord, people are telling me that expect a miracle, expect a conversion, turn to St. Monica, something's going to change, only to find out that things get worse. And any little bits of improvement turn into even darker depths of despair or, or desperation. And it's like, this is just so hard, Lord. Lord, Lord if this is how you're going to treat me, and that, that can be the language that comes out, the honest language that comes out is, if this is how you're going to treat us in this, I would rather go through it alone. And so what does the Lord do? And what, is the, what does Easter have as a message and this scripture have as a message for people who have closed off some part of their lives to God because of suffering? Suffering that just says it's too much. I would just rather go through this alone. When we lock doors like that to God, when we lock and attempt to lock Jesus out, of those places in our lives where we've suffered so much, he will pass through those doors. 
He will pass through those doors. Okay, but now he's on the inside. Let's follow the pattern of what he says and does. The first thing he says is, do you remember? Peace be with you. That's the first thing he says. Peace be with you. Now, what does that mean? Well, peace, according to St. Augustine, pax est tranquillitatis, uh, tra- yeah, tranquillitas ordinis. Peace is the tranquility of things being in order. So the first thing he says is, peace be with you. So Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, has the capacity to bring order out of chaos, to restore calm where there is disturbance, to bring tranquility where there is confusion, to bring serenity where there has been destruction. This is the risen Lord Jesus. The risen Lord Jesus is a God who can establish peace in places where we still carry open wounds of suffering. Okay, but wait a minute. How does he deal with those open wounds of suffering? Let's take a look at what he does second. Jesus, he passes through. He comes right into those locked off places. He says, I'm here to establish order, tranquility, serenity, peace. I'm going to put things back in order. I'm going to establish my lordship over this situation. That's when things are in order. Chaos be gone. Order come. And that's what creation is. Creation is the spirit of God coming and bringing order out of chaos. But wait a minute. What about all the suffering? Jesus, where were you in all the suffering? Jesus, how could you just watch while the suffering was happening? Jesus, how could you permit all of this? Jesus, it really feels like you did all, like you did nothing when I was going through all of this. What's the second thing Jesus does? He shows them his wounds. He shows them his hands and his side. What's he conveying? What's he communicating? What's he saying to us today, to us in those places in our lives where we've blocked him off and we feel like, how can you bring order when there's been so much suffering? And his message to you is, I want you to see I want you to know and I want you to experience that you never suffered alone. All of the suffering that you've ever suffered, all of the suffering and pain that you are suffering now, you are not suffering alone. I am there with you. I am there for you. You are never suffering alone. And so I will come through those locked doors and I will be with you right in the midst of that suffering. It is not foreign to me, and I am not distant from you as you undergo suffering. Now, some of you hearing this, I want you to pray for this scripture to become alive for you. Just say, Lord Jesus, I need John 20, verses 19 to 21 to come alive for me. Lord, I need that. I need you to come into the locked doors of my life. Please, I'm desperate. I need you to speak those words, peace be with you. And Lord, show me. Show me the ways that you are already united and have always been united to those times and seasons and places in my life where I have suffered greatly where I've suffered loss and destruction, where chaos has entered my life. Please, Jesus, come and be with me in the midst of those. Show me your wounds. This is what the Easter Jesus does. This is what our Easter living Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of life and death, he holds the keys to to death and life. He holds the key to freeing you from that suffering. And then, what? remember, what's the next step? What's the next stage? What's the next thing that Jesus does when he is, after he comes in, speaks peace, and then shows the wounds? He then repeats, peace be with you. So he is showing that that word of peace 
is a word that will not only open you to come to be aware of the way in which he has been with you and is with you in the midst of your suffering, but that peace is his promise to stay with you. Peace is his enduring promise that he will allow tranquility to rest in the center of your being. Do you understand this? It's the calm at the center of the hurricane. There may be a hurricane of destruction happening around your life, but Jesus is saying in the middle of it, I'm with you. I'm with you as the prince of peace. I am the Lord. And, but that's not all. That is not all. He then does what? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now you who have been the recipient of my resurrected power. Jesus has come through your locked door. He's spoken peace into your life. He shows you the wounds. He says, I'm with you in your suffering. He speaks the words of peace again. Then he says, I'm now going to send you from that place where you are trapped and stuck and lost. This is the craziest part, is that the place of your suffering is going to be somehow mysteriously used by God fruitfully for mission from that place of stuckness and and chaos and and suffering is going to come mission. Not mission that you have to figure out and make up on your own, but he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. He will send you his Holy Spirit to be power, to send you forth, to give testimony to others, but precisely from that place of suffering. All right. Back in a minute with more scripture. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnes. Great to be with you. I love you guys, and I just want you to have an encounter with the living Lord Jesus. I just want you to have a faith that flourishes, not just a conceptual faith where you know what the church teaches, not just a faith that takes your moral, that gives you a moral code that you strive to live day to day, not just a bunch of religious practices that become the custom in your home. No, I want the living Lord Jesus to be the center of your identity, the driving purpose of your life. I want Jesus to be what you are about. Jesus, I want to live for you and I want you to live in me. That's what I want. Now, I'm going to be speaking at a Seattle men's conference coming up. It's a week from Saturday. Actually, a week from Friday night, I'm going to be speaking at a um, at a, uh, a night of renewal at St. Michael's in Olympia. And it's for families. Anybody can come to that. I'd love to see you there on Friday night. It's a, um, gosh, it's not a revival night. What do they call it? Uh, But it's a night of uh, revival, renewal. I'll be talking at it. There'll be praise and worship. There'll be singing. There'll be prayer. There'll be, again, I'll be talking. And I'd love to be able to visit with you all. And then there's the Seattle Men's Conference, Iron Sharpens Iron, the Seattle Catholic Men's Conference. I'd love for you to be there. Um, I'm going to give a talk, and it's not going to be a soft, fluffy pillow talk. Jesus didn't say, pick up your marshmallow and follow me. No, it's going to be hard-hitting. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be, hopefully, invigorating. It's going to make your man uh, uh, come out with a fire to be a godly man, fulfilling a godly purpose. That's what I sense. I'm supposed to be speaking. I am going to speak a hard word a challenging word, but not a word that will crush someone, but hopefully a word that will tell, encourage them to step up, stand forth, push forward, and be the man of God that God has planted them in this moment in history to be in the world, but also in the church. Oh yeah, and also in their workplace. Oh yeah, and also in their neighborhood. Oh, but by the way, most of all, in their own homes with their own families. So as a husband, a father, as a single man discerning God's call, as a grandparent, great-grandparent, guys, show up and get ready to step up, stand up, and move out. I am excited. So that's at the Seattle Catholic Men's Conference happening on the 29th at St. Michael's in Olympia. Be there. I will be there. I'll be thrilled to be there and to see you. Okay, but we can't do any of that without the spirit of the living God, the spirit of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see how what begins as a personal encounter, an encounter that is one-on-one, 
that coming through the locked doors of John 20 needs to be complemented by what happens when we walk together with others. And so that's the story of the road to Emmaus. That's Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. And so it has to do with, you know, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, right? You know how the story uh, goes, right? Jesus, you have two disciples walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, about seven miles away. And uh, as they do, they're discussing the about Jesus and his crucifixion. And Jesus comes up to them and starts walking with them. And he asks them, what are you talking about? And they start talking with him. And uh, he then starts sharing with them, like, guys, how slow you are to believe all that the prophets have announced. Did not the Messiah have to undergo all of this to enter into his glory? And so then he starts interpreting the scriptures for them. And then just picking up beginning at verse 28. By now they uh, they were near the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they pressed him, stay with us. It is nearly evening, the day is practically over, so he went in to stay with them. When he seated himself with them to eat, he took bread, pronounced the blessing, broke the bread, began to distribute it to them. With that, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Whereupon he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning inside us as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. They got up immediately and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and uh, and they they were greeted with the Lord has been raised. It's true. He has appeared to Simon. Then they recounted what had happened on the road and how they had come to know him in the breaking of the bread. Okay. So a couple of key points to recognize about this. So when the Lord calls us, I've talked quite a bit about this idea of an encounter with Jesus that's personal, that involves you. However, you don't live your life of faith alone. Now, some of you are in a life circumstance where you are living alone. But even you, there's a way in which your life of faith is intimately connected. You're living in a spiritual solidarity with others in this great communion of saints. And so even you, if you're living by yourself right now and hearing my voice, I'm going to be talking about the idea of walking together with others that even if you have few opportunities to walk together with others in a very visible, physical, day-to-day kind of way in terms of sharing faith, this is also applicable to you from the standpoint that how you live your today impacts me. Did you hear that? How you live your today, you choose to pray rather than watch TV. You choose to, uh, to say yes to God rather than yes to the temptation to sin. These things have a reverberating impact on the entire body of Christ. That's right. None of us lives alone. None of us dies uh, in a way that is apart from impacting each other. So, but let's focus on the great majority of you who are, in fact, walking your life of faith together with others. What do we have here? We have the circumstance of Cleopas, who's one of them. He's the one whose name we know. Um, who um, is uh, walking along and discussing things with um, the other disciple as Jesus approaches them. Now, Jesus, they don't recognize him at the beginning. Okay, what's the reason why? Well, guess what? Discussing is the word in English. The word in Greek means arguing. They were arguing. They were not in a relationship of communion. They were going at each other. And you know what they were going at each other about? Well, faith. Their belief in Jesus and what happened to Jesus and what do they do now and what do they make of all of this? They are arguing, even as they are walking along the same path. Boy, doesn't that ever happen in our lives? How often and how many times in our lives, and let me just focus in for a minute on married couples, you should expect that there will be times and seasons that are stormy, times and seasons that involve arguments, disagreements, even things that are 
kind of basic. When I say basic, I mean fundamental about how you're going to live your married life, whether that's around things like finances, whether that's things like what does it mean to practice our faith, whether that means lifestyle decisions about stuff that you own, where you live, what kind of jobs uh, does one or the other take, and how does that impact your family's life. There are big deal decisions. And here's my question. Does it feel like Christ is in the middle of those questions? Does it, do you sense that when you are in a place of conflict and disagreement, that you're recognizing that Christ is with you? The message of Luke chapter 24 in the road to Emmaus is that Jesus approaches us in our fundamental commitments, in our basic relationships, foundational commitments like marriage, like family, And he says, I'm going to walk with you on this journey that you're walking right now. As hard as it is, I'm going to walk with you. You may not recognize me, but I'll walk with you. And I'm going to give you wisdom. Now, here's the thing. Did the two disciples have wisdom? Well, yeah. (laughs) They actually had the gospel. Did you hear what they actually said to Jesus? They said, well, Jesus asked, what are they talking about? And he says, uh, are you the only person that doesn't know uh, that Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet, powerful in word and deed in our eyes of God and of all the people, chief priests and leaders delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We we're hoping that he'd be the one who set Israel free. Besides this, the third day since these things happened, some women of our group brought us astonishing news. They were at the tomb before dawn. They didn't find his body returned till they had seen a vision of angels. And they went to the tomb and they found out the way. You know what they're doing? They're preaching the gospel. They're preaching good news as if it's bad news. They're preaching the good they're preaching the good news to Jesus. But in the midst of an argument, they don't even recognize it as good news and they don't recognize Jesus, the one they're talking about, in their midst as they do so. Let's continue to break this open in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. So, Today I'm talking about encounters with Christ. Encounters with Christ, the risen Lord, who can come through locked doors into those places of suffering. And in this last section here that I'm talking about, Luke chapter 24, I'm discussing times in our in our fundamental relationships, in our marriages, in our parenting, where we're in conflict. So much conflict that we don't recognize that Jesus actually takes the initiative and approaches us. And even though we think we know the the wisdom of God, the teaching of the church, and it's good news, we actually take it to be bad news. Now you might say to yourself, how does that apply? Like I, I don't see how that applies to us. And I want to give you another example from Carrie in my life. So we've already talked about I've already talked about the blessing of having nine children and and some of the sufferings that was involved in that. Well, now let's talk about raising those nine kiddos and the different ages and stages of kids' lives that introduce different types of challenges, (laughs) different types of exhaustion. And I used to say uh, that the best talks I ever gave on how to raise a teenager I gave before I had any. <laughs> I had so much wisdom. Oh, I had so, so much wisdom to bring to bear to parents on how to raise teens when all my kids were like under 12. So there you go. Well, now I've got five teenagers and I'm still looking for the handbook. Uh, it's certainly not the one that I was presenting at the time, but let's get right down to brass tacks. There was a time in Kerry and my married life where we were facing deep trials and challenges from one of our kids in particular, one of our daughters, one of our older kids, who was just doing a tremendous amount of rebelling in a way that was impacting Kerry and my life so much because everything that we thought we knew about how to parent our kids was not working. The things that we did that seemed to work fine for kids who were not in a serious place of brokenness and rebellion didn't work 
in that circumstance. And so all of a sudden now, here we are left with arguments, left with deep divide and conflict about what to do. It was one of the hard... I, I think I'm more... I, I don't like using this word traumatized, but I think that I carry more wounds from the walking out of that path, that journey with Carrie than I did with undergoing the sufferings of miscarriages. Different types, but the relational conflict that Carrie and I had trying to find a way forward was so difficult. And here's the thing. The insights that I needed, I needed, in order to take the action that were called for were right in front of me, but I couldn't see them. I couldn't hear them. I, I, I knew what they were. I could give talks on them. But in terms of actually seeing how they applied to my life and then finding within me the strength to live them out was beyond me. Uh, that, was, that was where I had reached the end of my strength. And so it was there on my knees, desperate for the Lord to come, that I encountered him. I begged the Lord to stay with me. Don't press on. Don't pass by. Lord, please don't pass by. And I went to the scriptures. In fact, I went quite a bit to a book on uh, deliverance prayers for use by the laity. And I went to the rosary. I would pray on my knees, 20 decades of the rosary. I would pray the entire book of the deliverance prayers for use by the laity. I would pray all of the prayers. I just was so overwhelmed by what was happening. I'm like, I'm just going to keep on praying. I can't stop until I have permission to stop, until I was just exhausted. And it was only going through that that what emerged in me was the strength to do what I was unable to do prior to that in terms of how I intervened into my daughter's life to help do what I could to set her free from a very broken, dangerous, dark path. And, you know, it's five years later now, and I am so grateful to God for the, the, not for the hell we went through, but that we came through. <laughs> the fact that we've come through hell and we're probably in the upper echelons of purgatory, if I'm taking Dante. We're not in heaven yet. <laughs> we're still in purgatory. But wow. And so I, I know I'm being a little bit discreet here. At the men's conference, I'm going to be a lot more detailed about what I faced and what I did. Um, so show up at that men's conference. I, I've never talked about it in public before. So I'm going to do it there. But I, I share it with you here because... Sometimes it's not that we don't know the answer. It's that the answer is not a living word for us because of the, uh, the broken situation that we're in. We just are blind to the fact that the Lord is speaking to us in that word, that word of scripture, in that word of uh, the church's teaching. And so, um, I, honestly, it was because we went through that that Carrie and I found the space and the grace to uproot and move our family where we did. It, so that, if you will, if there was a gift that came by going through hell like that, it was that we realized we didn't want to have to go through that with our other kids. And we needed to take whatever steps we needed to take in order to be able to give our kids the best chance to flourish in their life of faith and I'm so grateful to God for the way that they are flourishing here. They're not perfect, but boy, they are flourishing in so many beautiful ways. I'm so grateful to God for the, the circumstance and situation they're in. And Carrie and I, we have tremendous compassion and sympathy for some folks, some parents especially that we talk to, and we hear them discuss what's going on with their kids' lives, and they are, they are where we were. And they're like, 
they're on the outskirts of hell. And I try to share with them, like, hey, here's something that you might want to think about doing in terms of a, a stronger intervention, a stronger decision to take action to lead and provide and protect your kids, your teenagers, that daughter, that son. And, and you can see how they wrestle with it, but it doesn't really make sense to them. And when we walk away, Carrie's her kind of her standard answer is that, you know, they just haven't suffered enough. They just haven't suffered enough. And what a terrible way to, um, to, to think about, uh, life, but it does, it, it does map itself out in the scriptures and in our tradition that the Lord calls us with bonds of love and calls us, uh, beckons us to leave behind the paths of sin and, and darkness that are in our lives and what do we do? Uh, it's so much easier for us to stay there. And then the Lord allows calamity. He allows calamity to fall. And he does, it, he does so out of love. He lets us to bear the fruit of our own sin until it becomes so difficult and painful that we will become separated from our sin one way or the other. Or we'll, we'll just reject God. And hopefully that won't happen, right? So, um, but this is, this is a message of Easter, the message of Easter is that the Lord is going to walk with us on our journey. And when our journey, not, not if, but when our journey becomes marked by conflict, deep, dark conflict, he's still going to be with us and he's going to give us light. He's going to give us strength for the storms that if we're willing to live and walk out those storms, he's going to manifest a grace of resurrection. He will show himself to us in that breaking of the bread. Um, you know what? I, um, I just a little heads up. If you're listening to this program, tune in on Thursday because I'm having an author on who also does quite a bit on social media. Her name is Layla Miller, and she's done quite a bit of um, writing and um, talking about children of divorce. It, it's a book called Primal Loss, and and she also talks about standards. Um, which has to do with taking a stand in situations where people around um, others, maybe often family members or friends, and they take a stand against the idea of abandoning one marriage and then getting married again uh, in situations that don't involve an annulment and how difficult that is. And, and, um, and, and the need that we have today to take a stand for the church's teaching on marriage as indissoluble, and um, to stand against the reality of no-fault divorce, easy divorce, right, and the suffering that that introduces into the life of kids. So I'm very much looking forward to that that conversation with Layla Miller. She's someone who speaks with a lot of background and research and stories and testimonies about that reality. So tune in on Thursday for that interview. Tomorrow, I'll pick up on this theme of encounters with Jesus in the resurrection, in the scriptures, and applying them to our lives. God bless.